Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Well, good morning. Good to see you this morning. Thank you so much for being here. Today's going to be a good day. Amen. Excited to start a brand new series this morning here in just a couple of minutes. But before we jump into that, I want to mention yesterday's trunk or treat event and the amazing turnout that we had here. I was told over 2,000 people came to our trunk or treat event, which is amazing, amazing. So if you participated at any level, if you bought candy, if you decorated your trunk, if you decorated your children, if you helped with parking, uh, driving the shuttle, any of those things, huge thank you. Thank you for participating and being a part of that and helping us make that connection with our community. Uh, Amazing, over 2,000 people showing up, showing up to that event. Listen, last week we, we finished a series that we called Whatever It Takes. We talked about a number of things in that series, but then as we closed it out last week, a bunch of us made commitments when it comes to our giving and what our giving is going to look like over the next year. It was a series where we talked about wanting to take steps in discipleship. We wanted to hear God's voice. We want to be people that are willing to do whatever it takes when it comes to seeking the Lord, advancing his kingdom. We want to be not just yielded to the Lord in lip service, genuinely yielded, genuine followers of Jesus. So a bunch of us made commitments. We filled out those commitment cards. If you weren't a part of that, I want to ask you to become a part of it. We've got commitment cards in the back. The ushers have them. You can grab one after service. You can raise your hand now and grab one. I'd love for you to fill one of those out, get it to an usher, get it to our office, because the goal wasn't raising a certain amount of money. The goal was getting everybody on board, everybody participating. We want everyone to take steps and make those commitments yielded to the Lord in that area of our life. And coming up on November 21st, we're going to have a big give Sunday where we're just circling that date on the calendar, have a special offering where we can bring a first portion of what the Lord laid on our heart to give. I know some people, there was a certain amount, maybe a, a first part of that that was going to be significant. So we've moved that date back a little bit and said on November 21st, that's going to be a day where we can bring a special year-end offering, a kingdom builder offering to the Lord as we get ready to close out this year and move into next year. So you've got a few weeks. I know some people maybe have to move money around in accounts or or, um, sell things or whatever is necessary so that we're ready for that special offering. It's going to be awesome. November 21st, we bring that first portion before the Lord. But today is October 31st, which means that it is Halloween. And I don't know if it's appropriate to say happy Halloween in church or not. So I'll just say happy October 31st. You know, Halloween uh, growing up was something that my parents kind of vacillated on whether we celebrated it or not, whether we participated in it or not, what that participation looked like. Maybe some years pretending like it didn't even exist. Some years uh, we were allowed, there was five of us kids growing up, we we were allowed to get costumes and, and participate a little bit. But on years where we were allowed to do costumes, there was kind of a couple of unspoken rules when it came to our costumes. Unspoken rule number one was nothing gory, nothing really spooky or gross, no goblins or people with you know, a hatchet in the side of their head, nothing like that. That was kind of one of the unspoken rules. The other unspoken rule was we don't buy costumes. You don't go to the store and, and purchase it, like you know, grab a, a Spider-Man costume or something. If we're going to dress up, we made our own Costumes. We're just going to find stuff from around the house and create a costume. So my mom would get creative with finding costumes for us kids. One year at school, there was a school party, and we were told to wear costumes, dress up, and just come to school dressed up. So I was into Pinocchio growing up, and my mom decided that I was going to be Pinocchio. And so she made a costume for me, which consisted of a piece of construction paper kind of rolled into a cone shape, and then attached to my face with a piece of yarn. That that was my nose. Then I wore shorts, and she drew on my arms and legs with an ink pen, trying to make my arms and legs look like they were wooden with with hinges. And so that's how I went to school that day, with a construction paper nose and lines all over my arms and legs. I was Pinocchio. 
One year I was, for Halloween, the Apostle Peter. And so that year my mom took a, a green tablecloth that we used and wrapped that green tablecloth around me to try to make it look like a robe and put you know, safety pins to, to hold it in place. And that was my, my Apostle Peter robe. And then for shoes, I didn't have any Bible time appropriate footwear. So over top of my normal shoes, she took uh, brown paper bags like you carry your lunch to school in and slipped those over my shoes. So I had brown paper bag shoes with a tablecloth wrapped around me. That night, a lot of people asked me, what are you supposed to be? I'm the Apostle Peter. Clearly. Clearly. Looked more like a, a strange version of the Statue of Liberty with that thing dra- draped, <laughs> draped around me. So today's, today's Halloween. I, I don't know, you know where you stand on. It's you know, something we shouldn't even mention. It's evil. It's, it's fine. It, it's whatever. But one thing that Halloween provides us is a little bit of insight into people's hunger for the supernatural, people's awareness that there is a realm that goes beyond the here and now. And even if it's a twisted, warped, confused view, people have this this discernment to know that there's something besides just this realm and this life. There is a spiritual realm. And again, it might be warped and weird and, and perverted in their understanding, but so many people are desirous to interact with, with that spiritual realm. And we It's because we were made to walk in a spiritual realm. That's that's the way that God created us. So there there are different spirits in the world, and you are one of them. So one of the spirits that is uh, active in the world is the human spirit. You and I are spiritual beings. The Bible tells us that you're actually comprised of three different parts. You are a spiritual being. You have a soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, and you live in a body. In fact, the Bible talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it talks about your body when we die. It says when this tent, when this earthly tent is taken down. It talks about this body as if it's just a a tent that's not really you. You live inside of it, and it allows us to operate on this planet. E.W. Kenyon referred to our bodies as our our earth suit. It allows us as spiritual beings to operate in this planet. And at some point, it's going to wear out, and it's going to be like taking down a tent, and then we're going to move on into eternity. That's why it's so important for people to come to know Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus. Because you're you're not just a being that is here for 70, 80, 90 years, whatever it might be. You're actually an eternal being that's temporarily having a physical experience, but you are a spiritual being that will continue to exist for all eternity, either in hell forever and ever and ever, or in the presence of God with Jesus and fellowship with him for all of eternity. You are a spiritual being. You live in a body and you have a soul. You can see it in the creation account as God is creating the first man, how each part of this uh, three-part being is formed. Let me read it to you. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, He's forming him out of the, that, that's his body. That's the container that he's in. Formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That word in Hebrew for breath is the same word for spirit. So he put in him, breathed into him the spirit of life and man became a living soul. So you see body, soul, and spirit, even in the creation account that God forms this container, this earthly tent from the dirt, from the the dust of the ground, puts in him an eternal spirit, breathes it into him, and man becomes a living soul. It's referred to in the New Testament as well. Let me read you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he identifies each part, three parts of of a human, body, soul, and spirit, but you are a spiritual being. So there are human spirits in the world, and there are also good spirits active in the world, which we refer to as angels and angelic beings. They are spirits. Let me read to you from Hebrews chapter 1. 
verse 14, it says, but to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? So it says the angels are spiritual beings, they're spirits. And they're created, their job is to minister, to help those of us who've come into relationship with Jesus. They are ministering spirits. So there's the human spirit. There's good spirits that are active in the world. There are also evil spirits. Good spirits, we'll call good spirits, they're angels. Bad spirits are demonic spirits, demonic forces, evil spirits. They are angels. The Bible says when Satan fell from heaven, he took a third of the angels with him. So there were angels. Now they are evil spirits, demonic spirits. So there's bad spirits, human spirits, good spirits, evil spirits. But we want to learn more about the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. His ministry and his role in the life of a believer is so enormously important. Unfortunately, there's a lot of confusion about who he is, what he is, how, how he is. And we want to take time to begin to look into God's word and grow in our understanding. It's so important. Let me just read a couple of verses just to whet your appetite, to stir your, your hunger, to grow in your relationship with the Holy Spirit about how important his ministry is in our, our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That verse lets us know that it's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, who's working in our lives, transforming us, changing us more and more into the image of Jesus, that we want to be Christ-like. We want to grow more and more like Jesus, but apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we lack the ability to become Christ-like. That's his ministry in our life to lead us and guide us and shape us and form us and add things and remove things. He's working in our lives, helping us to become more Christ-like. And apart from his ministry, you and I cannot grow more like Jesus. It's a ministry of the Holy Spirit. Zechariah chapter four, verse six says, so he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. There is a way that God wants to accomplish his plan, a way that God works in our lives and through our lives, and it's not by our own strength, it's not by our cleverness, it's not by our ability, it's not by taking advantage of opportunities and, and just being really shrewd. It's ultimately, it's all by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that God works in us and through us by his spirit. Spirit. So the things that you want to accomplish or God's laid on your heart, things he wants, you, he, he wants you to do, things he wants you to be, it's got to be, if it's going to be pleasing to the Lord, not by your ability, not by might, not by power, but how? By the Spirit of God. You know, when Jesus talked to Nicodemus in Genesis chapter 3, he told him, flesh gives birth to flesh. But spirit gives birth to spirit. So one of the things he's communicating is when it comes to our flesh, temporary things, things that are passing away, things, things that, that don't really matter, all they're able to produce, you and I in all of our own efforts, can only come up with stuff that is temporary and passing away, and in the long run, it doesn't really matter. But if we allow God's spirit to work in us and through us, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, the spirit brings forth things that are of the spirit. They're significant. They are eternal. Amen. First John chapter four, verse four says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in this world. Greater is he who is in you. If you have the Holy Spirit, the greater one lives on the inside of you. That, that is amazing to know. That, that is something that it's so important to be clear on and what benefits to be clear and confident and have faith in the fact that the greater one dwells on the inside of me. When you look around at the world and see some of the nonsense, the craziness, the destruction, the evil, the confusion, the horrible things that are ha happening, the, the wicked things that people are working to bring about, it can cause all kinds of, of frustration, 
confusion, anxiety. But when you know whatever spirit's working out in the world to stir these things up, whatever evil spirit is trying to accomplish, whatever they're trying to accomplish, the greater spirit, the greatest spirit in the universe makes his home on the inside of me. I don't have to be intimidated. I don't have to back down. I don't have to wring my hands. Whatever spirit is causing that nonsense, there's a greater spirit and he's living on the inside of us. Greater is he who is in us than he that is in this world. God has made a way for you and I, not just to know him from afar. The Holy Spirit isn't like a cloud floating around out there somewhere, that it's nice to know that he exists, that you have become the temple of the Holy Spirit, the greatest spirit, the most powerful spirit in the world loves you and has made his dwelling place on the inside of you. So if we can get clear on that, if we can grow in our faith, who he is, what he's doing on the inside, it puts us in a position to live a life of joy and peace and fruitfulness. Greater is he who is in me than he that is in this world. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, just say that right now. Greater is he who is in me than he that is in this world. Greater is he who is in me. The greater one lives in me. The greater one lives in me. I don't have to back down. I I felt an evil force. It doesn't matter. The evil force needs to feel the greater one living on the inside of you. And we don't don't run away from feeling a dark presence. Dark presence needs to run away when someone who carries the greater spirit enters the room. But it takes people who are confident of that. If you have the greater one on the inside of you, but you are 100% ignorant, then it's not going to affect your confidence because you've got to walk in faith knowing the greater one lives on the inside of me. But again, there's, there's so much confusion in the body of Christ. So, so we're going to take a few weeks, however long, and just work through the word of God, see what we can learn. We'll start with some basic things that might be very basic to you today, but there's others here. Maybe it's, it's something they've never heard before. And the basics is a good place to start. So we'll try to, to lay some foundation we're talking about the Holy Ghost today. You know, we just finished a series I mentioned where we talked about discipleship, but we talked a lot about finances as well. When you talk about money, money is such a everyday part of life. Money affects really everything that we do. If you go out to eat after service today, you'll open the menu and every item that you look at and you consider as you go through the menu off to the side, there is a dollar amount that you know, if I'm going to get that, that item, I'm going to have to pay that amount of money. It's not offensive. It's not disturbing to you. You understand that's just, that's the way it works. If you go to the store and you browse around the store, every item in that store has what attached to it? A little price tag. And when you see every item has that price on there, you, you, it doesn't bother you. You understand that's just it's just the way things work, right? Money's a part of life. But that everyday part of life, when you begin to talk about it in the church, it can become offensive. It can cause division and frustration. Hear people say all the time, I don't like it when preachers talk about money. I wish we wouldn't, I wish we wouldn't talk about that. And we, we've said this before, but it's a strategy of the devil to take the issue of finances, even the term prosperity, and cause it to be a divisive thing in the body of Christ. Where people don't want to talk about money, let's not talk about what God's word has to say. It's distasteful, and it's a strategy of the enemy to just leave that subject alone and be ignorant in it, because if he can get us ignorant and divided and confused when it comes to the issue of money in the church, he can limit the effectiveness of the body of Christ. If he can get us impoverished, if he can get us confused on that issue, he can limit the effectiveness of what the church has been called to do. We won't talk much about that. I'm setting this up to use as an example. But what does the church need to build a church, to launch a church? One of the main things they need is money. If you want to send a missionary to another country, what do they need to raise before they go? Money. If we want to feed a bunch of hungry people, what do we need to get the food? You, you need money. If you want to clothe people, if you want to do an outreach event, it, money is the, the common thread. So if the devil can limit the money that we have, limit our understanding there, make it a distasteful thing, he limits the effectiveness of the body of Christ. Now, the reason I bring that up is because there is a similarity when it comes to the issue of money in the body of Christ and when we talk about the Holy Ghost in the church. That similar to money, the topic of the Holy Spirit is sometimes potentially divisive, confusing. When we talk about the Trinity, there's, the Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? We say sometimes people think the Father, the Son, and what's his name? 
because we don't, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit. So the Bible shows from in Old Testament and the creation account through the New Testament, God is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Three, three different revelations of God, three different personalities, but one, one God. It's a mystery, the, the Trinity. Now, if we were to get a bunch of believers, even, even locally from our little town, if we gathered all the pastors from all the churches in a, in a 20 mile radius and said, hey, let's just get together and talk about the Trinity, we could talk about God the Father and people would be on the same page. They would high five. They would amen. They would nod in agreement. How many know God is the almighty God? He was the beginning. He is the end. He would, people would be on the same page when you talk about God the Father. When the you start to talk about Jesus. Again, everyone would nod in agreement. How many know Jesus is the Savior? He's the, the precious Lamb of God. He laid down his life. He died on the cross, and God raised him three days later. He's, he's seated at the right hand of God. People would be in agreement on the second person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son. Everyone would be in agreement. But when you begin to discuss the third person of the Trinity and say, okay, now let's talk about the Holy Ghost. Those same believers, those same pastors that were chest bumping and high-fiving and amen in one another, all of a sudden the room would grow tense. People would wonder, okay, where do you stand and how is this going to go? Because you've got a very uh, wide spectrum of belief and understanding when it comes to the Holy Spirit. On one end of the spectrum, some people would believe that the Holy Spirit's no longer active today. There's no more gifts of the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you speak in tongues or operate in the gifts of the Spirit, you're actually deceived and you're operating under demonic influence. That's one end of the spectrum. Clear to the other end of the spectrum where there's people that believe you're not even saved unless you speak in tongues. You've got to speak in tongues just, just to make it to heaven. And then you've got positions everywhere in between. Now, I'm using the comparison of money, because just like talking about money, it's easier for people in my position, knowing that it's divisive, it's confusing, it's better if you just talk about something that everyone can agree, agree with, and there's not a lot of confusion on it. It's easier for people in my position just to talk about those things and avoid the topic of money and avoid the topic of the Holy Spirit. And just like money, it is a strategy of the devil to get the church to avoid it, to keep it confused, to keep it divided, to keep it uh, frustrated on the topic, to draw sharp lines when it comes to the topic. Because like money, you can limit the effectiveness of the body of Christ. If you're going to bring confusion to any part of the Trinity, once someone's already accepted Jesus, the devil's next best strategy is to limit the effectiveness of that believer, limit the effectiveness of the church by creating confusion concerning the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to return to the Father, and it's important that I return. He told them, in fact, it's better that I go. They were sad when he said he was going to leave. It's better that I go, because if I go to the Father, then I can send you the Holy Spirit. So he says, I'm going to return to the Father, talking about going back to heaven. So where's the Father? Father's in heaven. Where's Jesus? He's returned to the Father. He's at the right, right hand of the Father. So the Father, first person of the Trinity, is in heaven. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is in heaven. And it's the Holy Spirit who's with us on earth today. He's with us now. He's the one who is active and, and ministering and changing people's lives and convicting of sin, leading and guiding and directing. He's our strength. He's our helper. He's the one who guides us into truth. Jesus said he's the promise of the Father. He's the spirit of, of, of adoption. So if you can limit people and get them to disengage with the person of the Trinity that is active in our life today, then you can limit the effectiveness of a believer and limit the effectiveness of the church. So it's, it's important for us to grow in our understanding, grow in our relationship with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost. And it's strategic, strategic of the enemy to get us just to avoid it, create confusion. And I think it's wise to not allow the strategies of the enemy to be effective in our lives. Amen. So one of the things that causes confusion, again, this is basic, that causes confusion when we talk about the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, is the language that we use when we talk about him. So we use the term Pentecostal when we talk about people who are spirit-filled, a spirit-filled church. It's a Pentecostal church. Well, that's kind of a weird word. Are you Pentecostal? I don't know. What does it mean? I remember when I was growing up, and I made a friend at school and found out we both go to church. And so he told me he went to Catholic church. He was Catholic. And he said, well, what kind of Christian are you? And I didn't even know there were kinds. I, I, I'm just a, I don't know, plain, regular. I'm just, I'm just a Christian. So I went home from school and I asked my mom, what, what, 
what kind of Christians are we? What are we? And she said, oh, we're Pentecostal, which didn't clear anything up for me because I, I didn't know what Pentecostal meant. That just made me more confused. I remember sitting and thinking about the word and trying to break it down in my mind, thinking, okay, Pentecostal, Pentecost, Pentecost. I thought, does that mean we... we we just believe in cheap stuff. We want, we want stuff that costs a penny, which went in alignment with how my family basically lived. So hey, we're Christians. We just believe in getting stuff cheap. We are, we are Pentecostal. So even, even the terms we say, hey, are you Pentecostal? It, it can create confusion about the, the Holy Spirit. Pentecost just means 50 or 50th. It's because the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter two, verse one says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And you can read through the rest of Acts chapter two, how God pours out his spirit. The promise of the father was poured out on the disciples who were there together in one place waiting on the Lord. But it was a Jewish festival, one of the three main Jewish festivals where they would gather in Jerusalem. And it meant 50th because it was also, it was called Pentecost, also the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. And it came seven weeks after Passover. So there was Passover, then seven weeks later, the next day started Pentecost. So seven weeks is 49, 49 days. And on the 50th, we're into Pentecost. So it just, it just means 50th because that's the day that God poured out his spirit, right? Just, it just means, just means 50th. Another word that can cause confusion or, or weirdness when we talk about the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit is the word ghost. We talk about it as Holy Ghost, and it's not right or wrong. It's a fine term to use. We name the series the Holy Ghost. But when you look at the original Greek that the Bible's translated from, the New Testament is translated from, it's really not a, a good translation. When people use the term the Holy Ghost, they're drawing from the King James translation of the Bible, where, the, where it's talked about the Holy Spirit, it's translated as the Holy Ghost. But when you look at the words that are used, it, it's really the word pneuma, which is spirit. He, he is a spirit. He's not a ghost. There's a separate word in the Greek for ghost, like when Jesus came walking on the water in Mark chapter 6, verse 49, it says, and when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, they thought Jesus was a ghost. There, a different word is used, the word phantasma or phantom. So there was a word for phantom, for ghost, for kind of spooky ghost. They were afraid. They thought he was a ghost. That's not the word that's used when we talk about the Holy Spirit. So some people like to refer to him as the Holy Ghost. It's not right or wrong, but it can create confusion. He's not a ghost. He is, he's a spirit. He's the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's another area where there can be confusion. He's the the Holy Spirit. When we talk about him like that, he doesn't sound like a him. He sounds like an it. But the Holy Spirit is a person. And, and when I say person, I don't mean he's just a guy. I mean, he has a personality. He's the third part of the Trinity. Again, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy, Holy Spirit. So just like God the Father is God, and just like Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God. He, he is God. He's not an it. He's not a force. He's not a dove. He's not water. He's not fire. He's not oil. A lot of those things are like pictures, similitudes of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's none of those things. He is God. He has power. He is not power. He's not some impersonal force that just kind of comes upon us. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. But the language that we use, we call him the it's just because we're talking, there's different spirits. There's human spirits, there's evil spirits, there are good spirits. What one are we talking about? We're talking about the, the Holy Spirit. That's why we say it that way, the way the English language works, but it makes him sound impersonal. But he's the Holy Spirit, he's a person. Not a ghost. We talk about, if you, if you use the word ghost for spirit other places, it, it would be weird. Do you, have, do you have the fruits of the ghost in your life? Uh, that sounds weird. When Jesus said, the Father is spirit and he seeks those to worship him in spirit and truth, it would be weird if we said he seeks those to worship him in ghost and in truth. So other places, it would, it's just confusing. So it helps, he's a spirit. He's a spirit. He's not an it, it's a he. And that's helpful 
Because we're supposed to fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And when I understand he's not some impersonal force, he's not an it like an object, he's a he, then I can understand more about learning to fellowship. And we'll talk more about that in just a couple of minutes. Let, let me read a few verses where you can see the Bible describes the Holy Spirit not as a force to, to feel, but a person to know. Acts chapter 7, verse 51 says, You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. So he, he's someone that can be participated with, yielded to, or you can resist him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, Do not quench the Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 12.11, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Talking about spiritual gifts. That people receive spiritual gifts according to what? The will of the Holy Spirit. He has a will. There's things that he desires. I can desire what he desires, or I can resist that desire. I can participate, or I cannot participate. I can quench quench the work of the Holy Spirit. I can grieve the Holy Spirit. If you can grieve him, you can also please him. If you can quench the Holy Spirit, then you can also, like Paul told Timothy, fan into flame the work of the Holy Spirit. So he's somebody that we know and can interact with, have relationship with, to have relationship, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You know, the last few weeks, We've been looking at the life of Abram, later called Abraham, looking at different stories from his life. And one of the stories we looked at was when God asked Abraham to take his son Isaac, take him up on a mountain, and offer him as a sacrifice. And he was willing, willing to do that. We talked about that last week. And that story is a type or a foreshadowing. It's a parallel of God the Father sacrificing Jesus. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his one son, his beloved son, willing to offer him, and God the Father was willing to offer Jesus his one and only beloved, beloved son. So there's a parallel. Later, if you continue reading through the story in the book of Genesis, Isaac grows up, Abraham keeps getting older. Eventually, it's time for Isaac to get married. And in Genesis chapter 24, Abraham calls one of his servants and makes that servant create a covenant with him. It's kind of weird if you read it. He says, put your hand under my thigh. Let's make a covenant. I want you to help me find a wife for my son. Don't let my son marry any of these local women. I don't want to marry any of these girls. Here's what I want you to do. Promise me you're going to do this. I want you to make a covenant. Go back to our homeland. Go back to where I'm from. Get someone from our family. Get him a, a, nice, a nice girl and let, let, let that be his bride. And so he sends this servant to go get a son, get a, get a wife for Isaac. And you know the story he goes to the well and it's about offering a drink and watering the camels and he meets Rebecca and ends up being a family member and God gives him a confirmation that that's the one that's supposed to go back and marry, marry Isaac. You familiar with that story? If not, I just basically summed it up. But there's a, another parallel, another parallel there, just like in the previous story I mentioned, Abraham is like God the father. Isaac is like Jesus the son. That parallel continues, and now you have Abraham wanting to find a bride for his son. God the Father wanting a bride for Jesus. And so this servant that is sent to go and find a bride is a parallel or a type of the Holy Spirit. To sent to go and find a bride for the son and bring him back. Bring her back, guide her back to that place where they can have this wedding feast and be United. It's a picture of the ministry of, of the Holy Spirit. So uh, an important part was to find the bride. And if you've read the story, you know, are you willing? Will you go back? Will you go and, and let me take you to? That, that was an important part of his ministry or of his assignment to go and find. She agrees. That was good. That was important. But he couldn't have said, awesome. She committed. She said, yes, she'll marry, marry the son. She'll marry Isaac. And all right, see you later. The next part was he needed to take her and lead her to Isaac. So again, in this parallel, the Holy Spirit is working in our lives when we become Christians. He's the one that deals with our heart. He's the one that gives us revelation, convicts us of sin, and draws us 
draws us to Jesus. He's present and active in salvation, and that's wonderful, but he's also working in our lives. Part of his ministry is to lead us closer and closer to Jesus, and not just taking us into eternity. That's part of it, but leading us. Like we read earlier, his ministry is to mold us and shape us and help us as we're walking along to become more and more like Jesus, that we need him to lead us. Just like Rebecca couldn't have gotten halfway or a third of the way somewhere along the journey and said, hey, I I've got it from here. Hey, we head east. I, I've got the gist of it. And, and dismissed her guide. She would have never found the son that she was to marry unless she stayed in close fellowship, following the leading of that servant. She had to stay close with him and follow his leading, stay in fellowship with him, or she, her progress would have been halted altogether. Are you with me? We, our progress will be halted the moment we disengage from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That he came and he confirmed those of us who accepted Jesus. He confirmed, brought us into the salvation experience, but his ministry continues to continue to get us closer and closer, ultimately to the marriage feast, but also molding us and shaping us to help us to become more like Jesus, helping us get closer, just like an object. The closer you get to it, the better you can see it. You can't read the letters on the page of my Bible right now, but if you got closer and closer, you could see it clearer and clearer. And the Bible talks about that when we see him, we will be like him. The more we see Jesus as the Holy Spirit leads us, the better we can see him. That's how he molds us and shapes us and conforms us to the image. He's leading us closer. He's bringing revelation. Oh, I see something about Jesus I I never saw before. It's the Holy Spirit leading us. And as I see more of Jesus, I'm also being conformed to his image. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now turn your Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, in John 13, 14, 15, 16, we'll we'll look at a number of these verses over the next few weeks. Jesus is teaching his disciples. This is the night where he's eventually betrayed. He's preparing them for the fact that he's about to die and he's going to leave and go back to be with the Father. And he's telling them how he's gonna send the Holy Spirit. He's gonna send the Holy Spirit to minister to them. So in John chapter 14, verse 15, he says, if you love me, Keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. That he might abide with you. Not not just visit you in an intense service and then be gone until the next time. Abide, fellowship, live with, stay with you. How long? Forever. He will abide with you forever. Verse 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So a lot of things that we can draw out of those verses concerning the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit. He's gonna be your helper, your guide. He's gonna abide with you forever. But then Jesus says that the world The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. We've talked about that before. Jesus is God's gift to the world. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to those of us who've come into relationship with Jesus. The world cannot, they are not able to receive the Holy Spirit. And here Jesus gives us some insight into one of the things that blocks the world from receiving the Holy Spirit. He says the world cannot receive, why can't they receive the Holy Spirit? Because they can't see him. Because they can't see him. Now, A lot of us here have received the Holy Spirit. Raise your hand if you've received the Holy Spirit. So a lot of us in this room, look around, a lot of people in this room have received the Holy Spirit. You can put your hands down. How many of you have seen the Holy Spirit? No one, right? Maybe you've seen the fruit of the Spirit. You've seen his working. You've seen manifestations. You've never seen the Holy Spirit. So what Jesus is saying, what he's not saying is that in order to receive the Holy Spirit, you need to be able to see him. So when he says the world can't receive him because they can't see him, he's not saying that you need to be able to see him in order to receive him. He's saying they can't receive him because they don't see him because they have a mindset that if I can't see it, I won't receive it. 
They're, they're walking according to sight. They're walking according to senses. They're walking according to what they can touch, what they can feel, what they can measure, what they can wrap their own limited minds around. They're walking according to natural things, temporary things, things that, that are fleeting, things that are passing away, material, natural things. That's their world. That's what they're operating by. And Jesus says, because of that, they lack the ability to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if that's true for the world, if walking according to senses and natural things and material things, if that completely blocks the world from receiving the Holy Spirit, what happens in the life of a believer? Some of us who just raised our hands and said we've received the Holy Spirit. What happens in our life when we start drifting towards the carnal? Because there are carnal Christians. And carnal, I mean people that walk according to the flesh. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and talked about how they're still, they're still babies. They're still carnal. Even though they've received the Holy Spirit, they still tend to walk according to the flesh. If that, if that mistake is enough to completely limit the world from receiving the Holy Spirit, what happens in our lives when I start walking not by faith but by sight? When I start getting caught up in just material things, temporary things, my money, my accomplishments, the experiences I, I want to have, things I want to do, social media, all these temporary things, when that becomes my focus, even as believers, I want to suggest that it has the ability to severely limit the move and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If it's enough to block the world, it's got to put a limit on the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives. So we've got to be careful not to get caught up in walking by sight, walking by natural things, making the temporary the focus of our lives if we want to grow in, in following the leading of the Holy Spirit. That walking according to senses will limit, limit your sensitivity to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. They, they, they can't receive him. They don't know him. They can't receive him. Why? Because they don't see him. They just go by what they can see, touch, natural stuff, walking according to the natural man. Later in chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as a guide, that he will guide you. He will guide you in truth. There's different applications of that. He helps us when we study God's word. But one of the things what we just talked about, he will guide who? Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the truth. So he will guide me in my walk with Jesus. He'll take me and he'll lead me and he'll guide me. Turn quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. The Holy Spirit guides us in truth, leads us closer to Jesus, molds us and shapes us. Walking according to the senses blocks us from being able to perceive. It limits, limits our sensitivity to him. The last verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14 says this. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It's the, the last verse of that book of the Bible. And it's not just a salutation. Here, have some good stuff and names of God and bye. In that, in that verse, there's all kinds of revelation about the Trinity and the roles of the Trinity and what God wants to specifically impart to a believer through each person, each revelation of God through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you look at the life of Jesus, one of the overwhelming ministries of Jesus is grace. That he came and he took our place he took what we deserve. He died for our sins, died on the cross, was beaten, nailed to that cross, went, descended down into, the, into hell. For th that was what you and I deserve. He took our place so that we could become the righteousness of God through Christ. That's what the Bible says. That is grace. Overwhelming, incredible, the grace of God. How was it imparted? How was it revealed? How was it made manifest in the person of the Son? May the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God. I'm talking about God the Father. In the, the person of God the Father, love is revealed. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. God wants you to, to receive love, to understand love by observing the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. The grace of the Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God the Father. And then when it comes to the Holy Spirit, he says, and the fellowship, the fellowship the koinonia, the intimacy, the closeness, the, the relationship, the knowing and being known. 
the being knit together, that, that is one of the primary ministries as he's summing up the, each part of the Trinity, the grace of Jesus, the love of God the Father. And he talks about the Holy Spirit, the partnership, the intimacy, the closeness, the fellowship to know him. A lot of times when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we, we want to talk about the power and the miracles and the signs and wonders, and that's, that's good. We'll get to that. That's important. I'm all for that. But sometimes we jump over one of the prime, the prime ministries, the intimacy, fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And really to get there, the starting point is enjoying fellowship, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. That we, even, even in our, our prayer life, we, we just want to jump to our knees and let the power of God and give me this and give me that. And we, we miss growing in intimacy, the fellowship, fellowship of the Holy Spirit. One of the primary ways to develop fellowship and intimacy with the Holy Spirit is in your secret place, in your, your private time with the Lord. On a daily basis, just carving out time, getting alone and being with the Lord and fellowshipping with the presence of God. We, we want the power and we need the power, but we also need to carry the presence through, through fellowship. I'm the temple, I'm the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit and to develop relationship. So what happens corporately is important. This, this is a corporate gathering of believers. This is important, this is unique, this is necessary. But there are things that happen in private that don't happen in public. There's things that happen when you're alone that can't happen when you're with, with other people. They happen in the secret place. Marriage is a great example of that. My, my wife and I love to spend time with other people. We love to be with our church family. We love to spend time with our connect group family. We love to spend time with our kids. We love to go out to eat with other couples. We like to, to go to the store together and go on trips. And we like to be around other people. That's good. That's important. But there's the sweet intimacies of marriage that don't happen when we're out and about town. They happen when we're alone in the privacy of our bedroom, in the, in the secret place. But they're both important. They're both important. What happens corporately is important when we're out with other people, but also what happens privately is important. We can't dismiss one. We can't just lock ourselves away in the bedroom for weeks at a time. Can we? It's worth a shot. That's really more her decision than mine, but we can't lock ourselves in the bedroom for weeks at a time. Because what happens in both places is important. So what happens spiritually, your relationship with the Spirit of God and what he can do when other people are ministering and the gathering of the believers and corporate worship, it's powerful and necessary and wonderful. But it's not a replacement for developing intimacy with the Lord. In your quiet place, learning to fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You know, in my relationship with Beth, there, there were goals that I had, things I wanted to, I wanted to marry her. I wanted to have kids with her, be a mom and dad together. I wanted to have a home together, minister together, grow old together. But I couldn't just jump to those things. You can't just jump to that. Where did it need to start? Fellowship. Fel fellowship. Being known and getting to know. Interaction. Koinonia. And those things were what produced later on. So in our, in our quiet time with the Lord, as you're working to develop fellowship with the Holy Spirit, koinonia, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, when we pray, even in the Lord's Prayer, you can see there is a progression. There's time just to enjoy intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Father, I praise you. There is nobody like you. No one can compare with you. When Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, gave a model prayer, not just for us to recite, but to follow that example. Hallowed be your name. Father, you're holy. You're wonderful. Nobody compares to you. Your kingdom come. But before he gets to give us today our daily bread, that's good. We should cast our cares. God wants to meet our needs. There's a time. Jesus recommended we do that. That was part of the prayer. But before we got to that, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come. Now, there's different parts of the kingdom of God. We're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God, advance the kingdom of God. But in this prayer, we're praying, let the kingdom of God come. A kingdom is where a king has dominion, where an area is under the influence, under the influence of that ruler. So we say, let your kingdom come. Let me come under you. You're so wonderful, Father. There's nobody like you. Let me come under your influence. I start my day today. Let me just come under your influence. 
I'm gonna come under your presence. Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Let me come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And not, not just, you know, there's different types of prayer. There's warfare prayer and there's petition. And those are all good and have their place. And Jesus even addresses them later. It starts off with fellowship. Let me come under your influence. Let, let, me, let me know relationship. Let me hear your voice. Let your kingdom, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. You know, something, something I'm learning in my relationship with the Lord and it's not profound, you don't always learn new things, right? Sometimes I find that, at least for me, I don't always learn something new. Sometimes I learn the same thing that I've learned before, but I I learn it at a level that I I thought I understood, I thought I got it, but God brings a a new level of revelation. I thought I knew, I I didn't know, I didn't know. We've preached this before. We've talked about fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I thought I understood it, but I'm learning it at a new new level, a new depth of fellowship, what it means to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. We don't always learn things new. Sometimes we learn the same things deeper than we learned them before. That's that's what's happening with me over these last couple weeks, just learning about fellowship with the Spirit of God. And the only way I can describe it, it, maybe it's weird to you, maybe it doesn't make sense. It almost feels like holding hands holding hands with the Holy Spirit. Just to make that connection. Let me come under your influence. Holding hands and going through the day, just aware of his presence, aware of his leading, just sensitive, sensitive to what he would have me do, what he would have me say. I've got lots of growing to do. It's the only way I can describe it. Just walking in the fellowship. It's not just for an altar time. It's not just for a service. It's not just for your your secret place. It's sort of walking in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, allowing him like the servant that Abraham sent to take us by the hand and at no point say, I think I've got it for a little while, knowing I don't make any progress unless I'm hand in hand with you. I'm incapable of doing anything unless I keep myself in communion and koinonia and fellowship with the Spirit of God. And that's why he's been sent. The grace of the Lord Jesus to save us. The, the love of God. They sent Jesus to rescue us. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to connect with us and keep us close and lead us and guide us and make us, give us a sense of belonging, reveal Jesus to us, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That's how we get to the power and the miracles and the signs and and the wonders. And God wants us there, but we don't want to skip over intimacy, just knowing the Holy Spirit, enjoying his fellowship, his fellowship, not just celebrating his power, celebrating his presence. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.